Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Snapshot episode 39. This week, we're going to be discussing the new season of Marvel Snap and the release of Elsa Bloodstone. KM, before I ask you how your week in Marvel Snap, I saw you achieved a very special rank and you were able to screenshot it mm. this time on your yes. way up. What prestigious rank were you able to achieve uh, on your climb uh, up? Okay, so rank 69, that's nothing special, in my humble opinion. Rank 69 is like, okay, you know, ha, 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 ha. I hit rank 69 with xx69 snap points so i hit it double i feel like that counts more Mm. i think that's an important thing like you can't just hit rank 69 anyone can do that right anyone can hit 69 420 8008-8008-8005 uh am i forgetting any i guess 1337 yeah anyone can do that okay but can you do it while matching the numbers? Mm. Can you do it while matching the numbers? A man of culture. And I, I had, I think it was like 8669. And the only better way to do it than that is to hit it with 9669. That's the only better way to do it, I think. And you still have something to, uh, to live for at that next time. You can get yeah. that no, that's the goal. How was the climb overall? Uh, I saw I, I saw your sentiment on Teresa. It was hard though, right? You didn't face just bots. It was a hard climb. It wasn't a question of like not facing just bots. It's not that like I, I miss the bots. It's that I played the exact same people that I did when I was ranked 20th or whatever in the previous season. It's like, oh, I'm still playing them. Mm-hmm. I'm still playing the exact same people. And it's like, okay, what is the point of deranking us if MMR means nothing actually changes? Like, MMR means nothing about the experience pre-infinite is different from the experience post-infinite. There's never a situation in which I can play anyone other than this, which feels weird, right? When you get deranked in other games, it feels like the MMR is a little looser, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're not purely matching literally the exact same people you were previously. Like I think probably maybe five new people I've played over the course of that time period. And the rest is just the same people. It's, you know, it's the human spider, it's young wave, it's Tanjo, it's Tripific, it's Big Baby. It's all it's like all of my chat, basically. It's like I'm playing, that's who I have to play to get through the ranks. And it's frustrating because it's like, okay, I would like an easy climb to infinite so I can get like a sicko screenshot, right? But instead of getting an easy climb to infinite, I get a really, really hard, the hardest climb to infinite. And it's like, well, why? Why? What is the point of that? Yeah. Like, if you're just going to make the, if you're just going to make it so matchmaking is exactly the same for me before and after infinite, why even derank me at all? Yeah. Why why bother? Like what's the point of it? It's been like that for a long time. I know we got into the eras where you could sort of break out of the parameter on the high end and on the low end and just mm-hmm. face bot face bots. But back in near before and around the Zabu season, my infinite climb was actually just 10 people. It felt like it was yeah. such a pain in the ass. And I remember I would I would start the season, I would be playing you know trying to slowly go up my ranks you know actually struggling and then i would queue up twitter 20 minutes later and cam yes. boom infinite i'm like this is ridiculous <laughs> i was like this, you know. i remember that too though because like i remember i remember this like because back in the day this is like the same thing was happening to me before i broke out on the top end it was i would be struggling to get to infinite and then like and i remember this specifically it was valentine and mr metal were like yo check out the easiest infinite i got of all time and it was just like what the fuck is going on like, what the fuck is this? I remember it was Silver Surfer season because Silver Surfer just came out. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was just like, what the fuck is this? Why am I Why am I playing the same person 12 times and they're cruising to infinite against people who aren't very good? Why, why is that happening? And I guess I just don't understand why, like, if you're not going to change matchmaking, why derank us at all? Mm. I don't get it. What's the point? Marvel Snap has really faced a sort of conundrum with its top end ladder experience. Literally since its inception, we've seen multiple changes. Um, we've gone through different iterations of this experience, whether it was aesthetically on sort of the the face of it or actually on the back end, some things change. But it's just like we've had this sort of kind of broken system, it feels like actually since global launch like there has always been something at the top end where it's like they've taken this way of analyzing and understanding their ladder system and they've just sort of 
applied that to the game as a whole and added no nuance, no nuance on the bottom end, no nuance on the top end. And then you just have these, these like weird outlier experiences. If you are on that top end where, yeah, you're facing top 10 or top 50, top 100 players to go from 70 to hundred, which other people are facing literally people that are, have never made infinite. And it's just, it's a weird yeah. asymmetric climb when you guys are, you know, I'm, visually uh, the way the ranks work visually from 70 to 100 you guys are doing the same climb but it is not the same at all like i do i do want to give a huge shout out mm -hmm. to the guy on my youtube video who was like oh sure yeah you made infinite day one isn't it a coincidence how all these marvel snap creators make infinite day one i don't believe it without a video and (laughs) then i could link my entire twitch vod where the entire climb was like live streamed I want to give a huge shout out to that guy and to the guy who routinely comments on my Twitter post to claim that the decks are that I post are rigged by algorithms. And I don't know exactly what that means, but you're so right, dude. Keep on keeping on. I am a huge fan of you. Uh, I really I can't wait to see what you come up with in the future because I think you're doing great work. I mean, they do seem like some solid level-headed takes for sure, um, and I, I mm-hmm. can see their perspective. <laughs> yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what could do you think? There's a situation where someone who is in the top 500, um, or we could even you know lower the parameter, top 100, potentially doesn't make infinite because the infinite climb is so hard. No, uh, because everyone who they would play gets filtered out eventually, mm-hmm. right? Like at a certain point. If you were top 100, the longer you wait, probably the more bots you play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would think I would think the longer you wait, the more bots you play would be would be the way I think about it. Mm-hmm. I would expect that at least. What do you prefer as a player? Do you prefer playing just bots and sort of getting the chore over with? Or do you prefer the more competitive experience? And is the, does the competitive experience lose its potential enjoyability because it's not symmetrical and other people are experiencing something vastly different? Can you repeat that question? I'm not sure I understand it. So the core of the question is, which what climb do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy the climb where you face the bots or you face the sort of top 500 players? Um, uh, the hard for climb? the climb to infinite, because I consider it so totally irrelevant, mm-hmm. just give me the bots and get it over with. Like, I, it's, just, it's just not a thing. Like, this was the hardest one I've ever had, and it took eight hours, right? Like, last season, I climbed... 700 or so sp in infinite in high infinite which is which means my win rate had to be extremely extremely high just to like maintain where it is and so climbing to infinite where all you need is above 50 percent cube rate is just a very reasonable proposition a lot of the time uh i personally i don't like the way that i feel compelled to do it I don't like the way where it's like if I if I don't do it in one stream, I don't deserve to be, you know, a content creator or whatever. I, I feel that way a lot of the time and I don't like it. Uh, I think it's just just get it out of the way. It's a stupid, stupid fucking thing. They have never made it actually make sense. It is always either too easy or too hard. And it's just just like at this point, why even derank us? Mm. Yeah. What's what's the point? When they deranked when they deranked us thirty ranks instead of resetting us to seventy that one yeah. season, that was the best one they had. To be that honest, was such a relaxing season. That was the best. Everyone could just play conquest. Yeah. Everyone didn't have to feel like they had to play ladder. Yeah. So did you use the bounce list um, primarily in your climb? Was that mm-hmm. okay? So I'm just going to read that yeah. out for our for our listeners. Uh, the list was Kitty Pride, Bass, Nightcrawler, Angela, Elsa, Bloodstone, Mirage, Jeff, uh, Mobius, Mysterio, Bishop, Hitmonkey, America Chavez. Do you think that this was for the record? Mm-hmm. Replace Mirage with Iron Man. Mm, too bad. I love I love Mirage, but Iron Man does give you I a do lot too. of. Reach. She was awesome, but like Iron Man is a little bit required in a world where people are playing like Shuri and stuff. Yeah, and that goes back to sort of the the OG reason that Iron Man was in the bounce list, which is you can flip you can flip the Shuri lane, you, you can literally flip any mm-hmm. lane basically with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel about the resurgence of bounces? Do you feel like Elsa Bloodstone brings it together, and that this is now a tier one archetype again? Mm, maybe not tier one. I have preferred the Loki builds of it personally. Uh, like post Infinite, I've been playing more Loki builds. Uh, I think there are like two real kinds of Elsa decks. And the first is you're like an Elsa Kitty Jeff deck. And the second is you're like an Elsa Vision Eliath deck. 
And the two major Elsa Kitty Jeff decks are Bounce and Loki. And the two major Elsa Vision Eliath decks are Move and Brood, and I suppose now Thanos. And the question is usually going to be, you know, which of those is the better deck, right? If two decks are occupying a similar space, they tend to be in competition until we can figure out which one is better, at which point it occupies the entirety of the space, aside from a few diehards, right? That is how this has tended to go in the past, right? Where X deck is the best at doing Y. Mm -hmm. And so other decks that do Y just sort of get pushed out. Yep. And... Those are the two like camps of Elsa decks right now. Uh, a, bu uh, a guy who watches me apparently just won the Impulse tournament with uh, the Brood Patriot Vision Eliath list that I put on Twitter and YouTube and said that they put Vision in because of my logic. So first of all, uh, hell yeah, bro. Um, and second of all, like, yeah, like this is this is where I, I've been thinking about this a lot because like the best Elsa Vision Eliath deck is probably an important thing to figure out. And I suspect that it's the Brood deck, but the Thanos is a lot more exciting. Uh, because it just is. Like, everyone loves Thanos. I love Thanos, too. But, like, I, I worry that Thanos' niche, uh, like, it falls within that niche of being an Elsa Vision Brood deck, and or an Elsa Vision Eliath deck, and it's like, alright, I need a compelling reason to play this beyond I really like Thanos, mm. right? <laughs> like, and I do. I like Thanos. Yeah, enjoy playing yeah, that. I, I would say uh, I would stone. say that like I mean I I'm just a Loki sicko at this point where like I just I I'll always think he's better than everyone else does because like I just I've played 800 games with the card or whatever and my win rate is like 66% or something. Like I just I I've almost never had a bad session with Loki. It just has never happened. And uh that that's that's you know, remarkable. I think it's very rare for that to be true. Mm -hmm. So um, the biggest thing holding thinking, back the bounce deck is just that it's potentially not the yes. highest point slam deck. I mean, the, it, this is this. It's is, also just that, like, it's not. It's not that it's just not the highest point slam deck. It's that it's fundamentally a little bit more vulnerable to counterplay than a Loki deck is. Mm -hmm. Like, bounce gets omega rolled by a correct Eliath. Omega rolled, right? Like it is a deck that is a throw priority, do this kind of thing, right? Like it gets really, really hammered by that card. And it gets really, really hammered by wave if you're not playing Mobius, which I obviously am, but not everyone is, right? It's it's a very fragile list. And it's also, I'm not positive it actually does points better than the Loki deck. I think it does maybe on average do points better than the Loki deck. Or at least over the course of a conquest, I think it will do points better than the Loki deck. But most of that's down to just having Iron Man, right? You just have Iron Man. And then the question is, do you win the heads up? And I think the more you have Iron Man, the less you win the heads up. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. I also want to shout out Human Spider. Did really well in the Impulse Tournament with just literally old Loki because he doesn't own Elsa, which is just incredibly based. Uh, but yeah, like, like Loki... My instinct is that Loki is still the best deck right now. Some form of Loki. I, I think it's the one that I put in my best decks video. Who knows? But I think that if you want to, if you're a really good player, that's the place to be, personally. Let me read that out. Um, this list. So Kitty Pride, Maria Hill, Snowguard, Angela, Collector, Elsa Bloodstone, Luke Cage, Mirage, Jeff, Mobius, Loki, America Chavez. Is that the list you're referring to? Yes. Mm -hmm. Note that Mirage is an Omega flex slot where it's just like, I like Mirage. <laughs> and that can be like Cosmo or whatever, or just like some other thing, whatever problem you want to solve. That's the place you mess around with it. Right. And what I like about that deck is it's running Luke Cage. It's running Mobius. It has this proactive game plan where you can do elsa kitty stuff or you can do collector loki stuff but you also have all this tech which means there are just fewer bad locations running those cards is basically like having legion right mm -hmm. oh dream dimension that's one-sided elysium that's one-sided necrotia that's one-sided negative zone that's one-sided right you just have so much control over that where it's just like oh man that's that's a lot that is a lot of control to have over a game 
you get to choose how things go down. You have Snow Guard in there. You have all these cards that give you options. And of course, you just do a lot of points when you do Loki Collector or Elsa, Angela, Kitty stuff. You just you do a lot of points. You're kind of immune to Shadow King thanks to Loot Gauge. There's just it's just good. It's just a bunch of really good cards. Mm. And that is the kind of thing that I like playing dynamic decks that have dynamic game plans, depending on matchups and a lot of answers and a lot of ways to ask different questions. So, yeah. Interesting that you you say you like dynamic decks when I definitely recall your archetype in Magic the Gathering being more aggro oriented, right? Do you think that it just it, I, I just I was reminded of I like aggro that. because it made you ask questions. Mm -hmm. That's what I liked about aggro. You put your opponent on a clock. You get to say, do you have this? You take an aggressive position, right? And it means that the right play often is saying, you know, I'm going in. And that's the kind of deck I like to play. But in a game like Marvel Snap, there's not really a deck where the right play is to say, I'm going in. <laughs> that's not a thing. You don't have it. And so that itch is unscratched for me because most of the decks where the right play is to say I'm going in are decks where that is a 50-50, like Galactus type stuff. And I don't like those. I like I think the thing that I liked about the red decks is that the correct play was to go I'm going in because the odds were in your favor. But in a 50-50, I don't think the odds are in your favor. They're kind of definitionally not in anyone's favor. And there's no deck that gets to do that here. So I prefer the kind of deck that gives you options and allows me to leverage what I'm good at, which is uh, addition. Mm. I think that the Shuri deck is the most like a red deck in the current meta, probably. But I wonder if you went back to Magic after playing so much Snap, if you would still be a red player. Um, just a little bit kind of pontificating here. It's I, I don't know. What do you think about Elsa Bloodstone? Do you think this is sort of a staple two drop in Marvel Snap now? Yes. Snap now? Yeah. So talk to me about yeah. why it's why it's so powerful and so flexible. Numbers good. Numbers good. Flexibility good. Why is it why why can it be played in fuck, so many decks? Fuck flexibility. Numbers good. Like she's like a two eight. Mm -hmm. That's really good. Like uh, why can it be played in so many decks? Because every deck in Marvel Snap does the same thing, and that is put points on the board. And Elsa is like a 2-8. And most decks that are interested in putting points on the board would love to run a 2-8. You need a very specific reason why you wouldn't do that. Like, you're a Shuri deck or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. That's why you wouldn't run it. Like, you need a reason not to run the card because it's a 2-8. It's just very far above rate. It's not broken the same way Loki is, but it's like, okay, this is like a little too strong, probably. Like, look, look at these numbers. The numbers are just too good. It, it's the kind of card that in another game would be, like, not broken at all, right? It wouldn't even be very good. But in Marvel Snap, for the same reason that Loki was good, which is all decks are kind of doing the same thing, Elsa is really good because all decks are kind of doing the same thing, and so it's very hard to find a deck that is like, oh, I don't want a 211. Yeah, I, I hate running a 211. I can't do that. Like most decks, it ends up just being like, oh yeah, I will go a little bit out of my way to play a 211. That's awesome, right? Like that's a super cool thing to do. And so as long as you're going to just like, even if you're just going to like fill up the board, mm -hmm. like that's, that's the, the whole raisin detra of the brood deck, right? Where it's just like, look, even if you're not doing the vision stuff, if you just fill up the board, she's like a two eleven. That's really good. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, so you get your two eleven, you get your three, six, you get your four twelve. <laughs> that's your deck, right? You get your movable uh, 811 power guy, right? You get your movable 511, and then you just Eliath them. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, they're probably dead. <laughs> and even in that case, she's like a 2-8, right? She's like a 2-8, because you get it off the Eliath and you get it off the Vision. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> like, just, all right, sure. Yeah, every now like, and then, that, that's the, it feels yeah, like we're getting cards like, released. The numbers released. are bad. Yeah, the cards, there's, we're getting cards released, like some of these cards that break into the meta. They're, I feel like Loki was slightly different because Loki, Loki is less of a, a it's it's generously stated at 3-5, but it's less of a numbers paradigm, more of like, hey, I just, I play your deck, but cheaper. Um, yeah, but, that, that thing that thing I do is, is, is messed up, yeah. right? Like, that's what Loki is. But, but like, Elsa is just like... It's above rate. Oh, it's these just, numbers are... Yeah. They're heinous. Good numbers. They're heinous. Yeah. 
they're, they're just they're unreasonable because the two five they are like the two five which i would say is probably the floor like generous yes the floor that's, i feel like i've never seen an elsa played where she is anything less than that and that's disgusting that is disgusting you need mm-hmm. like um you would definitely i feel like the only counter to elsa right and it's not even really a counter because this just I mean, counters just not that effective in general it's like something that punishes your opponent for playing into those lanes completely but then you still have to beat the the 211 right you still have to be, yep. beat them uh so let's say like what's what's a what's a really generous two drop like a two four that would be like a crazy generous stat line so, yeah so you do 11 minus four so you still have to beat seven power of value with yes. whatever card you're punishing them for playing four in a lane yeah <laughs> it's just it's just it's tarmogoyf right like it's not that's an analogy that nobody's going to get because that card kind of sucks now it's i don't know uh whatever name whatever undercosted beater exists in every good deck of every card game right it's just the numbers on this card are unreasonable and or maybe not even unreasonable right like i mean i think they are but it's not like she's op in that sense she's just like the kind of card everyone would run it's not like she's broken. She's just best in slot, you know? It's like Jeff, where it's like, yeah, it's like, like I, I guess it's not that bad. It's just the best card you can run. So do you think she's not OP? Because I feel like if if I told you I don't know. a couple like, months what you, ago, like, what are you, it's too early, yeah. right? It's too early. But if I sent him a couple yeah. months ago, hey, hey, got a new card for you. It's They're printing a 211. 211. You'd be like, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> because that, that's crazy. I mean, Even if I said 2-5, you'd be like, uh, then why would I play any of my other two drops? Yeah, I mean, why would you play any of your other two drops, right? Like, but the thing is, you're that there's actually like a million different two drops that are being played right now. It's just they're all being played with her, right? Mm-hmm. Like all the decks that I like playing run like her, Mobius, Jeff, Luke Cage, right? <laughs> just just a, a whole lot of dudes where it's just like, oh yeah, we're 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 in the two drop tech meta now. Mm-hmm. Used to be we were in the Shang Enchantress meta. Now we're in the Mobius Luke Cage meta. Feels like a different game. Yeah, Shang Enchantress meta. So long ago, yeah. it doesn't seem. Um, yeah, yeah, she's she's pretty strong to say the least. Uh, she reminds I do think me. She's like aggressively strong, but I don't think she's like you know not oppressive, right? I think the biggest case for nerfing her is that she's a season pass card and thus inherently pay to win. Like, that's my honestly, that's honestly my biggest case for nerfing her. If she was just a card, I'd be like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Like, if everyone had her, I'd be like, sure, I don't, I don't really care. Dude, I still get targeted by ads from Marvel Snap that's Ben Brode going, what if we had a game where you couldn't pay for power and you didn't have all the cards? Wouldn't that be awesome? (laughs) (laughs) It's just so outdated at this point. It's like, we, we specifically don't let you buy the good cards. And it's like, oof, that's a... Not the Marvel Snap. We don't play. let you buy the good cards, but we do make sure the cards you can buy are very good. <laughs> yeah, honestly, she reminds me of a. Uh, she reminds me of Surfer, not in the sense of exact as Surfer's doing, but she just seems like she's like no, a couple in the sense points. of the number is the number here is like one higher than it should be, probably. Yes, yeah. yeah, and then if you toned it down, it'd just be like a good card. Um, okay, yeah. let's get into this card balance update, October third, twenty twenty three. So we had Mojo. Uh, we had a text change on Mojo. It basically, says if. Both. No, it's a functional change. Functional, yeah, sorry, that's what I mean. Functional change. Ongoing, instead of uh, both players having to play four cards, it just says if they're both locations are full. It works on Space Throne now. Exactly, so it's a buff. Um, the Ua- what is the Uatu change? It's literally too small. That I can't. One, one, uh, in deck, you can see the right location. How do you, I mean, there's no way you're playing Uatu, but how do you feel? Nope. Do you think, that is that an upgrade? Is that a I want to I want to I want to have a conversation about the value of information in Marvel Snap because oh there God. is a certain type of player who I know. is I had this good convo. enough to know that information is valuable but not good enough to understand the opportunity cost of getting that information. Can, can I tell and you an, an example? example? Can I tell you something that happened to me about yet- Howard but go yeah, can go I, nuts. It literally happened to me yesterday. So that's why I have to okay. I have to tell you about this. So I was playing Nice legs, bro. Oh, you Did can anyone see? else see those? No, nah, yeah, no, I'm you, cropped you, out. You shifted. You cropped out? Oh yeah. Nice shorts. Shorts, I'm pantsless. Um, so I was playing, <laughs> I was playing uh, Lorcanus, a different different card game, completely different fundamentals, etc. But there is a card that you can play on turn three that takes the top card of your deck and puts it into effectively your resource base, your mana, etc. But you don't get to see that card. And the person I was playing against goes, "What if you could play a card that would let you see that card, so you make sure you don't get rid of a bad card, you know, or an important card in your deck?" And I'm like, 
well, that's not really a thing. And, but why? Yeah. I was like, well, if you could, if you could literally get that information for free, yes, that would be nice. But the card that's on top of your deck is equally as likely to be the card that you need or the card that you don't need as the card that's below that. They are of equal possibility to be the card, right? So by looking at that information, you actually don't change anything. You're just kind of, you would still play the card on three and accelerate the resource. Like it's just correct. <laughs> and uh, so talk to me, talk to me about your, it just, it literally happened to me yesterday. And then the player was just like, yeah. they just, they just like, but what there's if you a, could there's see a it? certain type of guy who is, who, who, who understands that that information is valuable. And I think I think a bit of the contradiction here is they see me saying something like this and they think I'm saying the information isn't valuable. And what I'm actually saying is the information is not worth the cost, mm -hmm. which is to say it is not worth running a one one in your deck. It is not worth playing Howard the Duck, right? Like the Howard the Duck example is pretty classic, right? Last time I saw Howard the Duck in the deck, my opponent's Iron Lad hit it. And it's like, oh, this card you run to make your Iron Lad better actually just made your Iron Lad worse because you ran it like i think it comes from not to get too you know psychological here it comes from a desire for safety and 100 percent knowledge interesting it comes from a desire to be fully in control mm. and that is a powerful thing to feel in a card game that is dominated by randomness but to feel like you know what's going to happen to feel like this information is valuable to you and in snap i will say the information is more valuable to you than it is in other games because of snap equity, right? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. there is actual value in information, but oh. again, the opportunity cost on all these cards, it just simply has not been worth it. And when you have to pay a significant cost, when they make one of these cards that says, you know, do that thing and also, you know, draw a card. Do that thing and also gain an energy. Do that thing and also do something that impacts the game state. Then it'll be good. Mm -hmm. But when it's just a 1-2, a 1-1, one, one, and you're only getting information, it is not worth the opportunity cost of playing the card. I have a theory of where it comes from. Um, so my mm. theory, because I feel like this is, it's not necessarily always associated with <clears throat> a person who's newer to card games, but I feel like it tends to be with players that are newer to playing card games. And I think it comes from evaluating card games purely based off context rather than based off value. I think when you look at card games based off a quantitative exchange of value and you take out the context of your game plan, what's on the board, etc., <clears throat> it's that is not the end all be all, but that is definitely step one. Step one is how do I outvalue my opponent on a card for card basis, on a point for point basis. Mm -hmm. And then you add context. What a lot of players end up doing in card games is they add context before value. So you'll see somebody we could take a, in, let's take Lorcana for instance, like you drop, you, and I know that's not the card, but this is where you can interact. So your opponent drops a, a creature or something that you know that like, that's the creature that I lose to that, that creature is really hard for my deck to deal with. And in order to remove it, you would have to cast three of your damage spells and you're like, okay, kill it. Okay, I got rid of that scary thing, but you don't understand. Like they'll skip the step where they realize that they just three for one themselves, and effectively they will probably lose the game as a result of that. It's just getting con uh, caught up in this this sort of the context of what's actually on the board, rather than how do I extract as much value out of my cards as possible and deny my opponent from doing that. Because I think if you, I think you could take all context away, evaluate every decision on value, and you won a vast majority of games by just doing that. That's my theory. My theory is. Honestly, that I mean, I, I went through a little bit of but like, I think it's just like there's a certain type of player who sees good players making decisions based on information and doesn't think they're good enough to do that, like to, to intuit this stuff, right? To be like, well, I do this anyway. And so they want to know for a fact whether something is a good play or not. And I, I think that it represents an inability to just accept that you have to gamble in a mm -hmm. card game. Inherent sometimes. fail rate, right? They will, they will yep. try to avoid inherent fail rate. Like there is many, you'll come into many situations across multiple card games, pretty much any card game where you will make a decision that is 100% objectively correct mm -hmm. and you will still lose the game. And these players will be like, I, I had a clip. I had a clip that was me playing into two. I put two devil dinosaurs in a danger room because if I the the only way I lost was if both of them died, 
And if I went mid with them and then put something else into the danger room, I would lose if they played anything mid. So I put them both into the danger room. Of course, both of them died, but that's like a 90 some percent chance to win. Yeah. It was the, the right play. And the lizard brain behind is like, you idiot. <laughs> you're like, you're like, these intrus- no, it was the right play. Yeah, I know. I was but, infuriated, but it was right. I think like as a like the human, I don't know, like the human element, like the lizard brain comes in and is like results oriented. Why would you? And you, you kind of get this like really skewed sort of retrospective on the decision you just made. You're like, okay, maybe I wasn't supposed to take that risk. But ultimately, if you accept what? it in some games, you will have an inherent fail rate. Like, yep. that is just part of making the correct decision. Yeah, I think that, um, you yeah, that sort of leads to some of this. So, a lot to, in short, I know because we ran, we went off a little bit there. Not worth, <laughs> not worth. Although, knowing the right location, there, would is, be great. there is like a use case for him in Conquest where like you can actually know what your opponent's deck is. And if the location screws them, you can get some snap equity. But mm. on ladder, I just think he's kind of unplayable. Yeah, I wouldn't use the slot for that. How do you feel about like so a card that was really popular in Conquest initially was Kang and then it saw zero play? Right. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like people, I do think 95% of the time, maybe 100% of the time, when people are like, oh, this is good in Conquest, what they actually mean is it sucks. Um, <laughs> but if I can outplay my opponent over 20 cubes, then yes, it's, it's got a use case. <laughs> like, it's usually like a good player being like, oh, this is useful in Conquest. And it's like, well, yeah, but is it more useful than a card that doesn't suck? And it's like, no, but like, that's that's what I mean when I say useful in Conquest. Like, I just don't want to I just don't want to be like, oh, this card's 100 percent useless because, you know, I, I do want to be like, oh, there here's a use case for it. If you're like a, the one Uatu fanboy listening to this, you know, go nuts. Yeah, C1 Uatu. Good. All right, Mantis. Uh, Mantis changed from a 1 2 to a 2 3, uh, 2 draw meta. Um, Cable is now went from a 2 2 to a 3 4. That's a pretty significant change. Mm-hmm. Raya Hill went from 2 3 to 1 2 and has a functional change that says add a random 2 cost to your card now, uh, not a 1 yeah. or 2 cost. What are your thoughts? No, she's good now. She's oh, good yeah? now. What, yeah, I mean, like. She's better than she was for sure. She's like the like a way better agent thirteen, mm-hmm. basically. Like that's that's what Mariah that's what Maria is now. I think it's Maria Hill. I don't know. Shout out to Robin from How I Met Your Mother. Um, it's it's a probably the best behind Snowguard of the card generators, I would say, and maybe Agent Coulson, but. Agent Coulson's value is lower to me now because we can't run Quinjet because of Mobius. And Agent Coulson was usually strong in concert with Quinjet and Loki. And Mobius makes doing full sevens uh, with Loki a lot worse. And, of course, doing the Coulson plan with Quinjet a lot worse now, too. So right now, I think she's probably the second best card generator, Mm, depending on how you evaluate the twos, because God knows I love me some Sentinel. I love me some Mirage, but Mm. she's quite solid. Maria is quite solid. Do you think all these were all these cards nerfed in the context of Loki? And trying to make that no worse. Maria was buffed. Okay, Maria was buffed. What about Cable and Mantis? Are those yes? Okay, so at yeah. what point? Because I know we talked to Glenn on this podcast, and Glenn is very, very aware of this uh, uh, design buff and nerf kind of philosophy of getting rid of the engine rather than all the cards that are affected by the engine. And it seems like we are chasing after uh, supporting cards. Oh no, I don't think this was because of Loki. I just I thought you were asking if they were nerfed in the Loki deck. Mm-hmm. And the answer is they are worse in Loki, but I don't think this is because of Loki. I think they just like when you look at those cards, like Mantis sucked and was unplayable. And, you know, she kind of still does. Yeah. Uh, Maria Hill sucked and was unplayable and Cable kind of sucked and was unplayable. So at least just play around with it. Right. Like people are going to people are going to get mad at me for that Cable take. But I am fairly convinced that he was mostly cope outside of snap equity in Loki mirrors. Right. I do think probably either of the other two were likely better cards in retrospect to run. And and the other two, by which I mean uh, Sentinel and uh, Mirage. Cable's fine. I don't know if you were like a sicko who needed an absolute edge in whatever games where he actually gave you your opponent's Loki and you could snap him. Uh, sure. But that didn't seem to happen a lot. And most of the time, he's just drawing them maybe closer to the Loki. And <laughs> Uh, I I don't really know. Yep, it's hard to evaluate him. I think he's just like, sort of neutral in that sense. At a three four, he's just worse than Colson, though. Mm-hmm. But like, what if he was a three five? Kind of interesting. 
What if he was a three five? So we put him up against yeah. Loki. We put him up against Polaris. Hmm. Um, yeah, what if he's a three five? Is he is he just like really good then? Is he really good? I don't think he's just really good. So he effectively draws a card. Um, yeah, three five draw card is awesome, right? It's pretty good. Like, that's that's like an amazing, amazing, amazing card. If he's like a three five, and like I think. You know, hey, let's at least uh, let's see what that happened. Like, can, can we get that to happen? Is that is that too OP now? Because mm. I feel like in the early days of Marvel Snap, three five cable would have been Omega busted, busted. But we're in a world of like two elevens now. Mm. So- you, yeah. So holistically, if you look at our journey from even close beta to now, how even though we, I mean, I guess we kind of have quantitatively power crept a bit, but Marvel Snap as a game has evolved in power. Like we were doing crazy stuff we were doing crazy stuff back in beta and on launch as well but do you think we power crept at all i think overall like point totals have not been power crept Mm -hmm. but i think efficient units have been 211 yeah so like what i mean is there are more wildly efficient units than there ever have been before but overall point totals like the big super uber broken shit has always gotten nerfed always right there are like polaris is kind of an embarrassing card to play now (laughs) and that used to be like a staple like three five with upside people used to play maximus in just regular decks they were like oh the three seven is worth it they wouldn't some people right some people played on three which i was like well you can't draw your opponent's two cards on three they've done a good job of making the game such that like the hugest explosive outliers, uh, mm-hmm. Sarah negative back in the beta, Zabu, Surfer, right? Like these massive explosive outliers, the early Thanos, or, oh, where it's just like the, the things they're doing are just like fundamentally ridiculous, right? They've done a good job of keeping that in line, right? Like you look at the best decks right now and Shuri is still one of them after the nerf, right? Like that's, telling of the overall power level relative to now like if you took og shuri into this meta she'd probably kill everything (laughs) she would probably be the best deck and it wouldn't even be close right you took a bunch of stuff into this meta it'd be it'd be very 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 powerful so what they've done is they've kept the top end of decks down but the like rate on cards has gotten better and better i think and i think that's the thing that sticks out to me is like, there's a lot of just really good rate guys now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it seems that they, they often get, they get released. I mean, glad you talked about this. They can get released at a higher power level and they're happy to tone them back rather than having to do the opposite. Cause the opposite is much more of a feels bad for the player base. Um, Unless the card is absurdly. I actually, I, I ran a poll on this and it was like, would you rather cards get released broken and then nerfed or released bad and then buffed? Because Neither is a good option given the way card acquisition works because it's like, okay, they buff Lady Deathstrike. What if she's broken and then you can't get her because she's not in boxes, right? Like, what if they back buff a card and it's it becomes insane and you can't get it? Isn't that a much worse use case? Isn't that a much worse case than having the Battle Pass card be good, mm-hmm. right? Because I think the Battle Pass card being pushed is actually the best case because that's the one you can get for only $10. <laughs> Every other card. I don't know if you can get that for 10 bucks. But I I do wonder about it. It really I really do wonder. I am hopeful for the future in terms of balance, but it is sort of hard, right? If you're a card game designer to make cards that people are going to be excited about while avoiding with all due respect, Dakins. Mm. Your cards have to be powerful. I was listening to a podcast, yeah. uh, Mark Rose. And Jackin is good, but yeah. he's just good. And yeah. I feel like they're aiming higher than just good on these cards. It's something that plagues Flesh and Blood, to be honest, because it's an eternal card game three years in, and the new sets have less than ideal impact on the, on the constructed meta. Can um, I just say that the way you guys rotate cards out is absolutely batshit? So I think from a theory perspective, it's, it's like if you looked at it, it 
as this idyllic way of rotation and you yes. didn't account for all of the variance and BS that might occur from it, it looks actually yeah. nice before you think about it. No, it, it. It's the exact kind of thing where it's like, this sounds great. And then you do it and you're like, this is the dumbest idea anyone's ever had. Let me explain it to people. There's a reason why no one else did it. So basically Flesh and Blood has a rotation. They do, they still do bans. Uh, they don't aggressively ban, but they still ban um, in specific scenarios. But ultimately he, it's a hero-based game and you tend to have like four or so heroes release a set but basically after heroes won enough events it will naturally rotate out it's a system called living legend so that system if you don't think about it at all sounds great and then when you think about it you're like this is the dumbest shit i've ever heard but then paradoxically paradoxically the the best the the biggest shakeups to the flesh and blood classic constructed metagame and the best shakeups the best the most refreshing have been from living legend Almost none of it has come from new sets. All of the new sets have pretty much fallen on their face, and then something has rotated, and it's actually gotten interesting. So paradoxically, it's actually the only thing that makes flesh right, and but blood interesting. Is that is that? But that that's like Stockholm syndrome, right? Because it's the cause doesn't mean that's the most effective way for that to happen. I know. Like I, in I, another I, game, I rag on it a lot. Like I, I yeah. Like it. in another game, wouldn't wouldn't that be like the role of the developers to step in when your game fucking sucks? <laughs> like, so it's it's, it's hard like, because this is, this is the thing. Because like the whole point of rotation, if you're a game developer, the point of rotation is so that your new sets don't fucking suck. It's to bring the overall power. Like, there are two solutions yes. if you're releasing new cards. One is power creep, yes. and the other is to bring the current environment down. And that's what rotation is. And if you're not actively rotating it to keep the power level down, if you if you export it to some other system so you don't have to feel bad, like you're not responsible for it, like, oh, that's just what the rules say, you're abdicating responsibility over your own environment, and you're just throwing money out the window, too. Yeah. The, the most unpopular opinion I have in Flesh and Blood as a content creator is that I think the game would be infinitely better if it rotated. So, I, like I was about to say earlier, I was listening to a podcast. Mark Rosewater had Richard Garfield on to talk about Arabian Nights. This is the first expansion of Mav the, Magic yeah. the Gathering. And they talked Rexy about... and Dreadnought, bro. They talked Let's about... Get it why you have a block-oriented structure, why you've rotating game, why they did it so early. It's because if you don't, you literally have to power creep or your players yeah. become jaded and pissed off because the new cards do nothing. And there, there is no choice. Yes. You have two choices. One is to lower the power of the environment, and that's what rotation is. And the other is to power creep. That is it. Those are the only options you have, or you release Dakins forever. Mm -hmm. That's it. And if you release Dakins, like you want to talk about what really pisses a player base off, um, it's not releasing Surfer, it's not releasing Zabu, it's not releasing Loki. It's releasing Dakin after Dakin after Dakin after Dakin. That will really get a player base angry pretty quick. Um, the mm -hmm. thing is, they got to release cards that make that are interesting to people, whether they're interesting because they do new things, like Loki did. Hold on, hold on. Because, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. We got it. We got it. We got it. It's like interesting. That's card game designer talk right there. Release card. They don't have to release cards. They're no, interesting. There's a lot of dog shit. Interesting cards. What you mean is strong, strong, <laughs> strong. Yes, they need. Well, I think that you're right. Loki had a unique effect and was strong. <laughs> um, but yeah, they need to they need to release cards that have an impact on the game um, and have an impact on the competitive metagame that can be playable without you making that make a, you feel like it was worth spending your money on. Right. Like when you when you think of it in that sense, how do you make someone feel like this was worth spending their money? And card game designers love dancing around this shit. And as someone who has like some vague aspirations to become one, I should really get more familiar with how to do this. But like they love saying stuff like, you know, OK, different cards are for different players. Certain types of players derive satisfaction from different things. And like all of that is 100 percent true. It's all true. Yes. But no one likes losing. Yes. Nobody. It's it's <laughs> it's true, but it's it's very it's on the on the hierarchy of needs of a card game player. It tends to fall quite a bit lower than how do yes. I win? <laughs> then how do I how win? How do I win? They yes. want to win with the thing. Yeah. And right. I think a Johnny doesn't necessarily like Johnny, the combo player. He wants to assemble his combo. Why does he want to assemble his combo? What does his combo do? Does he want to do the combo or does he want to use the combo to win? Yeah. Like combo to win. And 
most like anybody listening to this and anybody that's participated in the life cycle of a card game probably has encountered or is thinking about the question of isn't that just carrot on the stick does like do you lead yourself into bad scenarios doing that by power creeping do you like how do you keep them interested and like do you have to make broken cards and then people feel bad because the power cards are the ones you buy and then the ones you have are bad um and all of that is true and that happens to be the, there really isn't an answer to that question. That's something that these card game designers <laughs> figure out on no, the fly. I, I, I don't think that's the kind of thing that, like, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I just think that, like, it, I can't think. I'm not the genius. I don't have another answer. It, you either release Dakins or you release Lokis, right? Ideally, ideally, what you do is release fixed Zabus, right? That's where you want to hit, right? You release. Mm, I think Mobius might be aiming a little high. Mm -hmm. I think I think maybe Mobius probably aimed a little high, but you release uh let's say high Evos. He was at least in the ballpark, I think. High Evo was at least in the ballpark. The changes they made to him were super minimal, and he was very good for a very long time. Uh very good for new players to pick up and run with. You Thanos's even, right? Like I I give a lot more. Here's the thing. I give a lot more leeway to cards that are their own archetypes mm -hmm. because I think those cards benefit players moving into the higher collection levels more than basically anything else. If you aim too high on a Thanos, I will forgive it. If you aim too high on a high Evo, I will forgive it. It's fine. This is a live service game. We, you can fix it, right? Like that's fine. When you give players a bunch of cool stuff, when each of these cards is seven cards, I'll forgive you for getting something wrong. But when you make a 211, I can't call it anything other than, oh, yeah, they're the, that, that's power creep. <laughs> that's that's what that is. Right. Like and that's fine. Right. Like I, I get it. It's a necessary thing. But I don't want to fall into a cycle of printing silver surfers and nerfing silver surfers. And I worry that like it, with all due respect to Elsa, she's just not cool. Like, there's nothing... Like, Loki was cool. Thanos, cool. High Evolutionary, cool. Elsa is just numbers. Do you think Elsa would be almost equally as playable if it said... Uh, if it had minus one point on its condition? So it said plus two power. No, I mean, I honestly do think she might kind of suck there. I get why they did the three, okay. right? Because it's like, if you're only hitting it twice, she's like a 2-6, and maybe that's good, but she's not very exciting at that. Because, she, because her design is just numbers, that's what has to be pushed on her, right? And when you look at, like, like there, there's a lot of, like, really powerful but not particularly exciting cards. I think Mobius is kind of the headliner of, like, wow, that guy's really good, but fundamentally he's just a hate bear. And it's like, okay, that's that, that is that kind of okay sure and i think i think honestly i think they deserve credit with loki because they made this incredibly powerful card that is very simple and easy to understand and it's this in insanely fun card whereas elsa is like this card is good numbers you play this card because it is good on rate and i think that's sort of a different kind of the to me, <laughs> it's just like I I I don't hate it. It's just I think that's actually like probably the first time they've done that since Silver Surfer, where mm -hmm. it's just like you're not playing the card because of what it does. You're playing the card because the numbers are good. Yeah. If I had to pick an evil, I would pick the evil of them releasing powerful cards uh, that shake up the meta, then get nerfed down. It's just a more refreshing and refreshing is a weird word to use, but it's a more refreshing mm -hmm. experience as a player of the game, um, rather than dud card, dud card, dud card that are just yeah. getting pushed out on pure numbers. I'd rather it be, I'd rather be pushed. Although there is like a toxic relationship there where you are paying for the new card, you're paying for power. Ultimately, if they release season card that has no impact on the meta, it's kind of a snoozer. And it's like, ah, it feels like we missed for like that, that season pass. I think, yeah. um, all right, this week's Bend and Snap. It's a little bit different. It's not a question, Cam. It's actually just comment of the week. This is from Raymond Hartwick. And they say, you know, uh, they wrote a pretty long one here. It looks like they thought about Read it a lot. It. it says, Galactus sucks and deserves all the hate. Nice. That's it. Uh, agree. Based. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, Galactus, that's correct. Galactus does suck and does deserve all the hate. 
<laughs> I do want to be clear, though. I've noticed like some weird shit where it's like, you know, I'll see like, oh, Galactus players. They're so toxic or high Evo players. They're so toxic. And I, I promise you that's not true. <laughs> like, I promise you, I, I, I will go to war over this, that people are people. And Galactus players are not, on average, I would I would wager, more toxic than the average Marvel Snap player. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of when I first started playing card games, uh, when I encountered someone playing Bomb Warrior Control. I was like, this person is a psychopath. If you played Hearthstone mm -hmm. and you've been through that loop, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I could be playing a game 5, 20 minutes, and instead we're sitting here for 60 plus minutes and going to fatigue. I was like, this is a terrible experience. But, you know, as I've aged, I'm now that player. You become, you know, yeah. the, the the infinite stared back at me, Cam. Uh, but if you want to get your question read out, you can leave us a comment in the uh, on YouTube, and we'll get it skewed up for next week. Usually we go with questions. It's not it's kind of comment of the week, but I thought this one was hilarious, and it definitely got some interaction from other Galactus fans who get, uh, chimed in and gave their thoughts on on that statement. Um, all right, Cam. Last thing I want to last thing I want to talk about is the Brood deck. Uh, so I'm going to read it out. Yo. Forge, Elsa Bloodstone, Mr. Sinister, Jeff, Patriot, Brood, Silver Surfer, Absorbing Man, Iron Lad, Vision, Alioth, America Chavez. Does this take the cake for best deck in the format for you? It's up there. I think it's really solid. It's just, you know, really predictable. But it's probably the deck I had the highest win rate with. I would, I would, I would go so far as to wager. One of the things, there are two questions I have for myself about this deck. And one is, can I get Iron Man in here? Uh, cause that just seems awesome. And the other is, can I get wasp in here? And I, I, I don't know if I can do both. I don't think I can, Yeah, but I think like, okay, if we want minus silver surfer plus iron man, is that just like the shit? Are we just fucking balling now? Are we, are we just like the best there ever was? I, cause like iron man in a brood lane after an Elsa is fucking disgusting. <laughs> like Elsa and iron man. It's so gross. Iron ladded iron man is so gross. Like there is just like you, you, you just like Elsa and iron man. And they're just like, Oh, okay. I guess I lose that lane. <laughs> cause like you have, even if it's like the, like, even if it's the, uh, the what's his face lane, the, uh, absorbing man lane, mm -hmm. right? That's 34. It's 17 times two. It's 34. And it's just like, oh, okay, I die. <laughs> like, I'm out of here. My bad. And like, if you iron lad it, it's like you obviously one of the most ridiculous possible things. So I, I think I would try that. I think I would try, you know, minus surfer plus. It's either surfer or patriot is the issue. And patriot is better in your low rolls and surfer is better in your high rolls. Mm -hmm. And I haven't figured out which one I would do it with. Uh, but I, it's definitely one of those two because Patriot has the upside of working with Mr. Sinister, right? And that is really important when you do like your, you know, forge Mr. Sinister absorbing man plays. That's like a really important thing that Patriot still works with Mr. Sinister because it, a Silver Surfer does absolutely nothing there. But Silver Surfer has like this weird upside of you can absorbing man it. And so there'll be games where you go like, I'm going to forge Silver Surfer on five on this Comartage, and then I'm going to play an Absorbing Man on that Silver Surfer, and I'm just going to win the game. And that's like, Silver Surfer has a little more synergy with the deck when it does its thing, like Brood Abs, and a little, a little less synergy when it doesn't. And I really haven't figured out what the actual swap is supposed to be. Mm. <laughs> I, I hate to detract to another design uh tangent but i gotta ask mm. like, as as galactus gets nerfed and kind of leaves the metagame people have to find a new card to hate do you ever think that card becomes uh, alioth do you think alioth runs people into why are you even asking that question of course it does yeah okay so that's yeah i don't know it just feels like one of those cards where it was overshadowed by some other cards in the metagame but as they exit alioth i think will just piss people off more and more it's just one of those cards i think i should move it to four okay that's my that's my big take, which is it'll do two things. One, it'll make people feel like they should stop playing it. <laughs> that's important. Two, it means it loses to Doombots, Silk, and hopefully they'll also buff Captain Marvel to five. Right? I want them to do that. That's the, that's the specific thing I want. I want them to buff Captain Marvel to five and take a life to four. And then it's like, oh, okay, suddenly, suddenly this this card is not just like Un like not not like it's unbeatable now, 
But suddenly it's like, I honestly kind of feel like you have no excuse. <laughs> like, suddenly it's like, all right, look, if you're losing to this, you need to be doing different things with your deck, right? Like go put a Captain Marvel in it, like do, do a Silk thing, play a Doom bot, what have you, right? Like, and they know that this interaction is powerful, right? Like they are very aware of how plus one power can make these cards worse, right? Like they, one of the things that I never noticed that I think Glenn pointed out was Mr. Fantastic got a lot worse after Jeff came out, right? Because mm -hmm. Mr. Fantastic was no longer solo winning those lanes, right? Mr. Fantastic got a lot worse after Jeff came out. Uh, we're actually kind of in a like power creeping how much power we can move meta right now, right? Between Jeff and Elsa and Vision, there's just like a lot of ability to move shit around. But that makes uh, the game more silk, interesting in my things opinion. like that. I like there's, that. There's like that's what's happening right now is like that seems to be, and that's why I try to like like that's why I like the Brood deck because I feel like it's the most efficient deck at doing that. It's like, look, I'm either gonna forge Brood Absorbing Man you or I'm gonna Elsa Brood Absorbing Man Vision you, and it's just like, all right, I got you, dude. Like I got you. That's just too much shit. And then I'm gonna ally at the lane. And that kind of deck is just, I think, the best at being that weird mid-rangey bullshit, right? It's just the best at doing it. And I, I'm generally, I would say, if you had to pick one deck to play, it'd be that or Loki. Uh, I'll be experimenting with Thanos, but I don't think Thanos is going to end up better. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, or Shuri, I think. It's literally impossible yeah. to ever have a good argument against playing Shuri. Like Shuri, is, Shuri it's, it's, just, it's actually impossible to convince me that playing Shuri is wrong ever. You just can't do it. It's just, it's always good. Uh, it's just kind of, yeah. I mean, Shuri is one of those decks where it is both, um, it is both, it is both mind numbing in a good way and a bad way. I mean, there's not, there's not a lot of nuance to that deck. I'll read it out for people. Zero, Ebony Mott. Armor, Mobius, Lizard, Sauron, Shuri, Typhoid Mary, Taskmaster, Vision, Red Skull, America Chavez. Yeah, Shuri is a deck that I've played a lot of, um, especially in the past. And I don't know, the simplicity didn't bother me back then. But I think when you can be doing Loki stuff, it's like, it's a hard sell to play this mm -hmm. deck. And especially if you're telling me Thanos is playable. I've not played this Thanos list in this meta. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is one of the least cool things you can do in Marvel Snap. But it does, it does, it does number check decks like it is hard to oh beat. yeah yeah this is kind of the number checking deck <laughs> do you think is yeah, it potential isn't brood yeah which one do you think is the better point slam list on the delta like which one's between like, this and brood yeah uh okay so like there's actually like a really specific thing going on with brood right now that i want to call out which is it used to be a deck that would sincerely lose a bunch to loki and brood right now is better into those loki decks than it used to be because every loki deck currently is just doing elsa stuff too and the more you're an elsa deck the more you're flooding the board and the more you flood the board the worse the cards you get from brood are like that's that's actually why i think this deck is better now which because all the loki decks are doing the stuff that i'm talking about here like maria hills and whatnot right they're flooding the board and they don't really have ways to benefit from a hand of like, you know, Iron Lad, Patriot, Absorbing Man, Silver Surfer, whatever, you know, like, it's just like, oh, I can't do anything with this. I just make like a really awkward turn five play or something. And it's like that specific interaction with the Brood decks where they're just finicky enough that the Loki decks are no longer just wiping them off the map. I think points it in their favor a little bit. Why do we still play armor in the Shuri deck? Eliath. Eliath. Is that is that a good? Yeah, you don't want to get you don't want to get your shit task. You want to get your Taskmaster Eliath. Mm -hmm. And that that's okay. That's good enough of a yeah. use case because I figured yeah. like there's does anybody play Shang Chi anymore? No, it's 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 for Eliath. Okay. Like it's like you just don't want to get your fucking Taskmaster Eliath. <laughs> like that's 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 really kind of it. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Well, that's all the lists. I don't, you want me to bring up the Thanos list? I mean, you did. I can't opine on it uh, efficiently yet. It's uh, I don't know. We're good. We're working on it. Okay. Next week we'll come back. With we're, the we're cooking. We're cooking. We'll see. Yeah. Until you uh, you play that. Why is the stone? It's avoiding my mind right now. What is the stone? That, soul stone. Th yeah, soul stone. Enjoy that. Did you play that soul stone. Enjoy that. Oh <laughs>
can't believe they did that. I can't believe they've done this. Well, why though? There's no reason. They just did it out of nowhere. I mean, the reason is because of a deck exactly like this, right? Like they were like, we do not want this shit to be a thing. We do not want you to reliably prop into Dino into Eliath. Fuck off. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, people are like, oh, Galactus, and they're playing Prophet. Yeah, like, like that, 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 like it, it, it's that, right? Like, it's just like that's such an annoying thing to do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, if you are listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, the number one thing you do to help us out is leave us a review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps us out so, so, so much. There's a video version of this on YouTube at, at youtube.com slash the underscore snapshot. Hit that like and subscribe while you're there. And Twitter's are Brendan APG, KM Best MS. KM, your Twitch schedule, sir. Uh, evenings. I stream in the evenings. You can watch Marvel Snap in the evenings Eastern time on my channel. It's it's always a fun time. I have a mic arm now. You can hear me better. Yeah. I, I no longer have a sore throat from yelling loud enough for my mic to pick up. I can talk into the mic. I can do... ASMR. No desk pounds. I'm telling you, it's just you're a different person without it. You used to you see the mm-hmm. desk pounds, lift the mic a bit. Um, you, hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you just moving Did your any camera? Did that come through? No. I was just trying to, I was pounding the desk to see if. Not how it comes through. You're clipped onto Damn. another desk, I think, too, right? Um, what, what, do you have any goals for this, this season, particularly when it comes no. to climbing? Keep it um, no. <laughs> I, I want to be a little more laid back. Oh, I'll tell you my goals. I need to pay attention to Conquest this season. That Iron Man is so sick. Mm, yeah. That Iron Man is so sick. Oh, my God. I ended up just cashing in my Conquest tickets to get the Odin. I didn't have enough, so I spent 500 to just start an infinite and cash it in so I could make sure I got the Odin in the last three minutes before the season <laughs> roll over. So my goal for this season is to not do that again. <laughs> My goal this season is to it's you just get that from accumulating points though, right? You don't have to achieve any sort of Yeah, so what I did was I just started and immediately forfeited a, yeah. as many conquests as the tickets I had. I was like, all right, I got like literally two minutes, so let's APM through this. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.